Greetings, friends and fellow passionate high achievers. I am excited today to bring you the next interview podcast with an amazing entrepreneurial teacher. And I gave myself another softball today. So as I'm warming up with these interviews, this podcast is going to be with John Tanaka, who is... How do I even start? John and I have known each other for 25 years. We started training at the same time in our martial arts school. Um, He was just a lot younger than I was, uh, but we have known each other for a very long time. He now runs the martial arts school that I own, so we work together closely and regularly through that. He was a huge part of Quester's Way, the family center that we ran for four years. Um, and he is also my absolute favorite dungeon master for playing D&D. Uh, we work together on our we co-host, the Borrowing Brilliance episodes in his podcast, Dragon Mind, which is all about discovering your best self through gaming, through tabletop role-playing games. And we are going to talk about Dungeons and Dragons and TTRPGs, but we will take some time partway through the episode to explain what those are and give you kind of an idea. And we talk a lot just about how the things that uh, he's learned and practiced through being entrepreneurial in the martial arts has translated to this new venture that he's starting out on with the Dungeons and Dragons podcast that he's been doing actually for a while, um, but then also potentially branching off into it becoming a side hustle where he's teaching people that are interested how to become awesome game masters. So please enjoy this conversation that I had with one of my absolute favorite people and favorite people to talk to, John Tanaka. And of course, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, Keep being you. Welcome to the second Stephanie Ann podcast interview episode. Today I am joined by John Tanaka, who is a a longtime friend uh, and also partner in a lot of different things. We do a lot together. Uh, So the theme behind these podcasts is your entrepreneurial journey, which for us, our our entrepreneurial teaching journeys have been very much intertwined. So I'm going to, I'm going to pass it right to you and ask, how did you end up here? So in the, in the frame of becoming an entrepreneurial teacher, what, what was your journey to this point where you're at now? Yeah. So my journey really started when I was five. That's when my parents um, enrolled me in our martial arts dojo. Um, We actually started our martial arts journey like a month apart, but you're seven years older than I am. So, you know, you had a little bit more cognition. I was more of an uncoordinated goober. But, you know, uh, as you guys talked about in Ken's interview, um, Really, the martial arts school was special, not because it just taught the martial arts, but this entrepreneurial mindset was baked right into the culture very intentionally. And so in a lot of ways, as I was like growing up in the small business, I couldn't help but, you know, fall in love with the idea of entrepreneurial teaching and 
um, kind of the being your own boss mindset. I definitely tried a few other jobs, but the ones that I tended to be able to commit easier to were other small businesses. So for a while, my dad had me uh, work at the a police station where they the college campus had this program where you could like escort students to their dorm at night and stuff. And I like spat out of that within like two months because it was this very bureaucratic structure where there was a very clear job to do, but the hours were inconvenient. Like there was very strict things that you could do and not do. Whereas for Subway, I actually stayed there for like six years. You may not think of it that way, but each Subway is a franchise owned by an individual owner. So while there's like a model they have to adhere to in terms of like how they promote and what uniforms you wear and signage and stuff, really it's up to each individual owner to compile a staff that determines whether the store will succeed or fail. And what was really interesting is right from the get-go, my mom, who actually was was higher ranking than I was at Subway, she's the reason I got the job. Um, in her position as shift manager, the owner would give her a breakdown each week stapled to her paycheck that would show all the behind the scenes stuff you wouldn't think about, like food costs, labor costs, percentages of what was actually profit in the restaurant. So what I found working there was that a lot of people may like think, oh, a business made $30,000 in a month. That's so much money. But they don't think about like all of the costs that go into it and how there's just a sliver, like this 1% that's actually profit that the owner gets to take home, if that. So right from like when I was like 16 and right with my first job, that mindset of there is a cost that most people are unable or unwilling to see was like baked into how I thought about things. And it, it made it so that I, I couldn't help but like drift back toward any sort of entrepreneurial uh, environment, which is why I, um, I stick with the dojo, why I'm like the, I guess my title is director of the dojo. The one, <laughs> basically the buck stops with me. That's, that's kind of how I, I think of my role. So that's funny because that that increases like the crossover when that Subway sandwich shop opened. I, I actually got a job there like technically a week before I turned 16 when it was just opening. So I worked at that same Subway when it first opened in the in the Eastbrook Mall. I was there only for about a year and a half, though. Um, so it's just another another crossover point. Um, but uh, all right. So. So you you're, you're talking about having this insider knowledge of how challenging it is to run a business and and how unpredictable it is you don't just get a paycheck because you're owed a paycheck every week you saw the fact that those profit margins can be very narrow and that that's what the owner has to live off of is what's left so at what point in looking at that and that risk did you decide I want to do that. I want, I want to take on that risk. I want to be a part of, you know, something that's going to be unpredictable and challenging in that way. So later on, we're going to talk about how um, part of my entrepreneurial journey has like really intertwined with Dungeons and Dragons and other tabletop role-playing games and how when you're the dungeon master or the game master of your table, you're also a leader. But it's largely the same reason, which is, 
having been stuck in a follower role or a lower ranking role, I would watch the leaders that I had to follow to get a paycheck shirk responsibility over and over again. And because I had this kind of background insight and because I watched Ken as a role model do it for years, I knew the the places where the ounce could move a thousand pounds where like a little bit of support or a little bit of accountability here or there could really revolutionize an environment. Um, you know, I, I throw him under the bus a lot and I want to give him a lot of credit. My, my manager at Subway did an awesome job with kind of cultivating and developing kind of a friendly, more relaxed atmosphere where if you made a mistake, you you were talked about with it, but you weren't going to get fired for like doing something. So even, even some things I probably should have gotten fired for, but <laughs> to be honest, looking back on it, but there was a level of forgiveness almost to the opposite end where when somebody seriously messed up, like a lot of times they weren't held accountable. So because of that, their, their behavior never improved. So there was like a limit to how strong as a team we could operate. So um, really it was that, you know, if they're not going to take responsibility, what becomes possible if I take responsibility? And so the, I, I just found as a trend, the more I was allowed to take responsibility for filling the gaps that needed to be filled, things tended to work out better. And I think that kind of positive feedback loop made it so I couldn't help but want to go to more of an entrepreneurial pathway. It can define an entrepreneur, you know, at least in some capacity as, you know, people who are unsatisfied with the solutions available and feel driven to, you know, create something better, just like you're talking about. All right. So, so we talked about the martial arts school uh, and then the, that actually, all right. So you had an interesting transition into being the leader of that and it also dovetailed into the experience with questers way which kind of led into where you're at with dungeons and dragons right now so is there anything in particular in that area like that transition from being as just a member of the dojo then you started to dabble in teaching a little bit and then there was kind of a, a shift that happened when we opened the larger center what do you do you know of anything in particular that was kind of the catalyst for that that transition where you really did step up and, and took charge of a lot? Yeah, but it happened a little earlier. So I know part of where Momentum Learning Systems came from was, you know, falling in love with Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. So from the hero with a thousand faces, very popular storytelling model. And one of the things that's interesting reflecting on my own journey is you can map out these steps pretty, pretty clearly. So what happened is when I went to college, there was almost a refusal of the call where I knew that I was a teacher. I knew I loved the martial arts and I loved more than the martial arts. So I wanted to see if I could take the same skills I learned in the dojo and apply them in different ways, like through writing or video game design. I was a video game design major for a hot minute. Um, and the more I started to kind of creep down those paths, I started to see the dip, um, which we talk about, which is 
I, I would have these digital media professors brag about, you know, I pulled like two all-nighters in a row back in my day to get the project done. I remember, you know, puking for 24 hours after handing in my final exam or whatever. And I was listening to that and I'm like, that's awful. That's not something to brag about. That's that's not a healthy lifestyle. So that was when, so for a while I did dabble in teaching as a teenager. And then I went, went away for a little while and then I came back. And when I came back, it was no longer, I no longer felt like the martial arts as my future was a circumstance, it was a decision. And because I was making that decision, it was a natural next step to start to take on more responsibility where it needed to happen. Um, and I know for, for Questor's Way, it was kind of funny because in the first few months, I, I gave myself the joke title of interdepartmental coordinator. But again, it was a gap filler role because we had so many different neighborhoods doing awesome things, not talking to each other. And I knew one of the visions for the center was for there to be this interconnected web of both education and ideas and services that would provide a cohesive experience. So for example, if we're gonna run a birthday party, you need to have the kitchen <laughs> be there to deliver the pizza and the cake and all that stuff. And you also need to make sure the park staff know that there's gonna be 20 kids that are gonna be super excited to play in the park coming in 15 minutes. So my early role was just making sure that the people talk to each other. And especially with a lot of new strong personalities that don't really know each other, that can kind of rub each other the wrong way because they don't know each other's style, I saw myself as kind of just like smoothing out some of the edges so that that way the machine could run properly. And that was essential because I, I don't actually think I've talked terribly much about Quester's Way on this podcast. I probably should at some point, um, but it was a, a startup venture, a huge project. There were many things entrepreneurially that we just took a risk on, like opening a restaurant when we had no idea how to run a restaurant and had never had any experience doing that. And we were like, ah, how hard could it be? And it was incredibly hard, very challenging. And so there was all, there was a lot of things going on. And in any startup, there's a lot of risk. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of uncertainty. And some people like to, to compliment you, you, you really stepped up and kind of helped, like you said, fill all of the different gaps that were popping up because you don't know until you know, until you get into it and see where things are going to fall apart. You, you don't know what's going to go wrong. So some people were able to, to like step into their power and really elevate themselves by, by helping, you know, smooth everything out like you're talking about. And then it, honestly, it, it broke some people. Some people were not cut out for it because it's not bureaucratic. It's not predictable. You, you need to, you know, no one's going to tell you where the broom is. You have to go find the broom yourself. And it's your responsibility to make sure that the room gets clean. There's no janitor coming up behind you. So it, it's a it's a very interesting environment to be in a startup and, and it can be very overwhelming. So you were in, in yeah, so having been in it, you were a lifesaver. <laughs> yeah, well, and to go back to Subway, which was such an interesting training ground for this, um, in a lot of restaurants I walk into, there's like a lot of staff, but in Subway, sometimes you're the only person, maybe one of two people on staff, especially for like uh, um, the opposite of a busy time, kind of a slower time. <laughs> sometimes it takes me a while to find the words, but 
yeah, you were responsible for everything. It wasn't like, you know, there's one person that's making the sandwiches and there's one person that does dishes. We didn't have specific roles like that. When you were an employee, you did a little bit of everything and you were responsible for the cleanliness of the restaurant, you know, making sure all the stuff was put away, making sure everything was stocked. And also because there was such like small teams it made sure that everyone was busy so that there wasn't anyone just leaning around or if there was that was it was usually because there was a snowstorm or something like it was it was a rarity not the usual all right so now let's let's move towards your i guess we could kind of call it a, a side hustle but your your venture uh with the dungeons and dragons type stuff uh, so, <laughs> so through, uh, through, you know, you, you are still the, the director of our martial arts school, but on the side, um, we are very supportive of this side hustle work you're doing. So tell us a little bit about what Dragon Mind is and kind of where you're hoping to take it. Cause I know it's a, it's still an, a newer thing that you're playing with kind of newer. The podcast has been around for a while, but you're thinking about expanding it. Right. So at Quester's Way, one of the things we offered was Dungeons and Dragons and TTRPGs. And one of the things that both of us started noticing a few months into playing TTRPGs regularly ourselves was that a lot of the personal growth and development lessons that we teach and are very passionate about at our martial arts school were reflected in how you could approach D&D. Sometimes you need to work a little bit to get there. Um, but the thing I really fell in love with was that I would watch students that at the dojo would beat themselves up for making mistakes, suddenly embrace mistakes when it was a little bit of an environment shift. So because it's framed as a game versus like self-defense, which can be a heavier topic, especially with adults, they want to know that they can protect themselves. And that's a much more serious thing than sitting around and with goofy voices and rolling dice and stuff. Um, so eventually what happened is I wanted to, to podcast about it and just think about the game in this personal growth and development lens. So, um, originally we had a podcast that's no longer available called DM shower thoughts. And after a while, um, dragon mind came out because, um, one of our other podcast members was just, uh, we were kind of like just growing apart. Um, so I wanted to keep this momentum going. So Dragon Mind is a podcast you can find on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other podcasting apps um, where we try to find our best selves through gaming, just like how in the martial arts, we find our best selves, live our best lives, and do our best work through our martial arts school. Um, as I started really cultivating this culture of personal growth and development, just like how if you're at a martial arts school, naturally, some people start asking, you know, what does it take to be a martial arts instructor? What do I have to do to be a teacher like you? I found that a lot of players were suddenly getting interested in becoming game masters or the leaders of their table themselves. And of course, <laughs> whenever you try anything new, whether it's entrepreneurial or in a way this is maybe abstractly related to an entrepreneurial mindset, when you try to lead and you think it's really easy and it's really not, sometimes you stumble. So the way I wanted to expand Dragon Mind was just as a way to, maybe there's a monetary component, but help people who are interested in becoming leaders, specifically at this very light game-like environment, 
do so the most smoothly and the most successfully without having to fall on their face as often as I did. So now that we've used a lot of words that some of the listeners may not know, <laughs> briefly, uh, can you can you explain like what does TTRPG mean? What is Dungeons and Dragons and how is it significant in the TTRPG world? So just the, the short version. Yeah, so Dungeons and Dragons was the first tabletop role-playing game, um, but it is not the only one. So I use the term TTRPGs just as a way to remind myself and others maybe listening that Dungeons and Dragons isn't the only one, but it's the most well-known one and the easiest one to talk about. And TTRPGs really, they're just storytelling games that use dice to randomize outcomes. So the idea is that if you have, say, a writing room, like a TV show, and you have like four or five people all trying to create a story together, sometimes you, you think like, would this thing work or would it not work? And instead of having an argument, you just roll a dice and that lets you know if it worked or didn't work. And that way you still get to be surprised, which is a very key element. If you think about your favorite games, there's an element of surprise there, but um probably the easiest way to think about it for someone who has n has never done it and has no idea is it's a lot like improv theater with a game structure. So it's improv theater, but there are specific rules like a board game. There are turns like a board game. There are dice. <laughs> um, and the, the biggest thing is that the only difference between this and improv theater is that most of the players have a single main character that they're kind that's their part that's their role and then there's one player that's called the game master or the dungeon master in D, D that's kind of like the big narrator director writer editor <laughs> they do all the other stuff to make sure that it happens and as you can probably guess as a gap filler as an interdepartmental coordinator i i kind of drift toward that role more often than not so is that kind of clear on what it is? <laughs> yes. No, I think for someone who's never done it before, that's probably the best description. I really like the writer's room analogy too. Um, and, and one of the unique ways that you set up the games that we play is we, since COVID, we, you know, we got forced online during the pandemic. Um, and because of the platform that allowed us to uh, stumble upon typing out all of the things that we were doing. So we all play on voice together and we can talk to each other, but everything that happens in the story, we type into the chat on the platform that we use. And that actually does allow us to create a story. And we are working on a fourth book of story that's, that's been going on with these characters. Um, and then I guess the one other piece I could mention for description sake for people who have never heard of Dungeons and Dragons, it is very high fantasy based. Think like Lord of the Rings in terms of like elves and dwarves and all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of dynamic customized stuff in it. Um, but if you picture sort of Lord of the Rings, that's going to get you there. Yeah, that's D&D &D in particular. Again, the reason I use TTRPGs is because it's more of like a format, kind of like movie is a format. If you go to watch a movie, you know what to expect, but like movies, like the stories you can tell are kind of like, there's a lot of different genres, obviously. So D&D &D is usually specifically Lord of the Rings, like you mentioned. Um, and it can be so much more. 
So now to interweave this with with your martial arts experience, what what do you love teaching about the martial arts? And then how does that cross over into the work you do teaching GMs or teaching players, you know, when you're doing Dungeons and Dragons? I feel like I'm going to overlap Ken's answer a lot, but I can't help it. It's mine too. Um, I, I just love watching the story arc of each student. Um, and also acknowledging and letting them be themselves, kind of like how you say it during all of your podcast intros, just keep being you. So, you know, um, and the fact that it's mindful movement means that no matter if you're more intellectual or you're more athletic or wherever you're starting from, there's a way for you to grow, even emotionally, like developing your compassion. There's, there's a place for that. So like, Sometimes I feel like you get like a Steve Rogers type, or if you think of the first Captain America movie where he's like a weenie boy, but he's got a big heart. So all he needed was like the right training and the, the right muscle building to be able to bring out his inner superhero. Sometimes you get someone from the other side. They're really athletic. And because of the culture of their friend group, they feel they, they feel like they have to disguise their vulnerability, like their emotions. So I've watched kids that are like, if you see them in public, they're too cool for school. But as soon as they enter the dojo environment, which again, like Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, they're entering the special world. They have permission to be goobers again and be a little bit goofier and be a little bit sillier. So the thing that I just love about teaching the martial arts is it's consistently allowing people to be their best selves. Yeah, so someday they can become an advanced goober. Is that what that that note that one of our teens like tried to secretly leave for you? And they said like it was like thank you for being an advanced goober, I think, or something like that. Do you remember what it said? That was pretty much it. Um the drawing itself was a little uncanny. Um really reminded me of, of JoJo's bizarre adventure. But yeah, it was it was pretty much like like just it was that it was just thanks for being an advanced goober whatever that means that's what we specialize in at our dojo is being advanced goobers um so so bringing that back to the the ttrpgs like how what why are you passionate about dungeons and dragons like why is it that why has it become like the you know so obviously the martial arts is like your your primary thing but then dungeons and dragons is a very close second a lot of the conversations that we have end up interrelating the two what may what do you think makes you so passionate about playing the game yeah this is another one that i can like point to a specific moment um first was um you know you came up to me and mentioned how the nature of ttrpgs is you get to create your own character so from personal growth lens if you're like i want to practice being more patient you create a character that has patience and then you try to role play them even if it's uncomfortable. And a lot of times when you notice that discomfort, that's where you get to learn a lot about you. So one of the reasons I'm passionate about it is because it acts as a kind of Rorschach test and as a fun way, an enjoyable way to grow yourself. But really, man, it's hard to talk about. So one of our martial arts students was this eight-year-old and I ran through Quester's Way, a D&D summer camp. And what I was expecting were all these 14-year-olds that were talking about how their dream 
was to play a 20th level character, which means it's the end of the game. And for those of you that don't know, D&D like games can go on a really long time, like even years. And a lot of players never get to the end. It'd be like, you know, if you just like are watching 20 of your favorite movies and you only watch the first 20 minutes every time, <laughs> you never get to see what happens past that. So my original intent was to let these kids who had never gotten to the end, get to the end. And then of course, none of them signed up, but we had this one eight-year-old boy sign up and he like, it, it was really cool because he played a lot of video games. He's very imaginative. But to watch him light up when he realized what decisions he could make and that he had control of his own future was a very powerful thing. Um, in fact, like day four or five, his, his dad came up to me and told me how like they ordered him all the books and stuff so that he could play his own games and make his own characters. And, and then I want to say it was like six months later, like we, we got a call that he died. Um, he had this undiagnosed heart condition and just over, over Thanksgiving weekend, he, he had a heart attack and passed away. And we went to his funeral. It was very, it, it was, it was really tough. And one of the things that the, the rabbi officiating the service talked about was just how much D and D meant to him. And it, it really still hits me because I don't think he played more than once. I think he only played during that one time we had together, but it was so impactful. It was so meaningful that it stuck with him that much. It, it transformed him that much. So I, I can't help but be passionate about it because if I can, if an eight-year-old playing the game once can get that much out of it, how much could other people get out of it? if they give themselves permission to play pretend. Yeah, and I think that situation, and, and for all of us, it's not, the game is just this loose structure that allows for all of the interaction to happen. So like the, the self-discovery of being challenged in and of yourself to, to allow your creativity and imagination to, you know, like you were saying, you realize that there are all these different decisions it's not like a video game where usually you have a b and c choices that you can make maybe you know some video games just push you on a track so you have this whole world that gets to open up you're building and creating not just in yourself but with other people so it just unlocks this whole other world numerous other worlds it's like you know people talk about reading a book and how it can transport you to all of these different places so this like goes levels levels deeper than that because you're not just transported there reading somebody else's words somebody else's story you're in the story you're creating the story with other people yeah and you you feel like your choices matter more so actually to speak of the same kid one of the big lessons i learned while we were playing DD is um he was big into skyrim um, and one of the things that's very popular when you play that game is you might make a decision. And then if something doesn't work out, you just reload an old save file. You just go back in time a little bit and then try out something new. Whereas a lot of time in D and D when you make a choice, you're not quite sure what the consequences are going to be. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're bad, but a lot of times you're kind of like held to those consequences. So 
there's like a greater amount of accountability, which for a lot of people makes the game a lot more meaningful than video games where you can just reload an old save file. Yeah, and at the same time, while your choices are significant, in the end, they don't really matter. It's kind of why I enjoy watching sports. I enjoy NASCAR. I'm a New York Giants fan. And with both of them, it's like this thing that I can get passionate about. I can care. It can feel like it matters. But then in the end, it doesn't. It doesn't actually matter whether my guy is the fastest guy on the track that day or whether or not the Giants win the game. My life is not negatively impacted. So you get to to care passionately about something that doesn't in the end matter. And that's kind of freeing. So you just get to play with your passion rather than, you know, it, it being a stressful thing. Although for some, for some people, it's very stressful when their team's not winning. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so that was, that was a beautiful story um, about someone you know, that you saw grow and evolve through D and um, But I was curious if there are any other, uh, you know, little vignettes or stories about anything, any other interesting things you've seen happen within the games that you've played with different players? Yeah. So like I said, um, one of the values of TTRPGs is that they give anyone, including adults, permission to play pretend again. So one of the little vignettes that really stuck out to me was we were promoting questers way at like a town event so you know there's different booths set up kind of like a fair and it, one of our booths was a little D D. and instead of like character sheets or all the hullabaloo i just had like a foam d20 and it was just a little five minute thing so you know uh someone would come up and i would say all right so there's uh, a dragon and it's chained in a castle and you have to get like the treasure that's next to the dragon. What do you want to do? And for like the kids, it was really fun. Like some of them were like, well, I would make friends with the dragon or I would set the dragon free. Or, you know, you'd get the little 12 year old boy. I slay the dragon. But then you'd get the adults and you'd watch their eyes light up. These same adults that may have been kind of hunched over and kind of have a grumpy countenance a few minutes earlier would suddenly be like, well, I pop my fairy wings, obviously, or I turn invisible. And they would just come up with these things and you just hand them the die and you'd say, roll the die. We'll see if it's a high number or a low number. That'll let you know if you succeed or you fail. So just even for five minutes, getting adults to tap into their kind of inner child, but more their inner creative um, was a very powerful thing. Um, we had another player, like, because, again, you get to create your own character. There's a lot of identity psychology that goes on with d and um, I, I was once at a table with a player that um, was discovering her sexual orientation, like, through the game. And she had yet to come out to any of her friends or her parents or anything. But um, she she played a gay character in the game. And by being able to like be okay around other people who were supporting her, it eventually let her come out to her close friends and relatives and everything. So it was, it was very, there was a very real world empowerment because like you said, Stephanie, there was the, the game is kind of like a safe space. If she didn't get the results she wanted, she just goes and tries another table. Um, and then the last one, of course, is like you mentioned, we, we write <laughs> we, a lot of normal TTRPG, normal, average, iconic, um, is people talking at each other and kind of improv acting. But 
we're not really actors, we're writers. So, um, you know, what was really cool is very early on for our latest ongoing game, you know, you fell in love with your character's story so much, you couldn't help but keep writing, even though the game was paused. So last I checked, it was like 120 pages, but it might even be more now. And just, again, that empowerment, tapping into like your creativity and allowing it to take on a quote unquote more serious medium is a very powerful thing. It was actually very helpful, I think, during the pandemic because there was a lot of holding pattern. I mean, obviously with the the martial arts school, there was only so much we could do with everything shut down and we were we were doing Zoom classes and, and that really, the, the creative writing of Dungeons and Dragons and writing out Zoe's story, my character's story, uh, really helped fill a gap. Um, and it was it was a very empowering experience. And I have to give that there the credit goes to obviously you for creating the space for for you know that to have that character and for that story to to start. Um, but then Anne Lamont's book Bird by Bird for anyone thinking about writing, um, that's a, a really great book to you know to kind of tap into. And it was she suggested a habit of just writing three hundred words a day. So I had started doing that. I was kind of dabbling in different things. And then I was just like, ah, I'll just write, I'll write Zoe's backstory. And then, yeah, it's 180 pages about that I have now that has followed like some of it's concurrent with the the game that we're playing and like in the in-between time, in between the sessions that we play. Um, and then some of it is backstory uh, and is is pretty empowering. And I feel like, I mean, I, I don't think I have the time right now, unfortunately, but someday I feel like I could go write a novel. Uh, and it was a really fun way to do it too, because anytime that I kind of ran out of creativity, we'd have another session to play. And I would just get this injection from all of the people kind of helping coax Zoe's story along. So instead of trying to write a fiction piece in isolation, I was getting to do it with other people, which was it was kind of fun. And obviously it's not something that's like publishable because it doesn't stand alone. It requires the the gearist storyline and backdrop and, and books that we've all created together. Um, but just for me, it was, I don't need it to be on a bookshelf at Barnes and Noble or whatever. It was, it was fun just to have it for myself. Yeah. And actually just to, just to go off what you mentioned about uh, the pandemic and everything. The other thing about TTRPGs is because they're a group activity. Um, I, I'm pretty, there's a lot of studies about how it helps treat loneliness. Um, and if you imagine like who are D and D players, like nerdy types, it's really mu a much more diverse community than that. But let's go with stereotypes for a second. Um, people who might otherwise be very lonely or prone to loneliness, and I'm sure you've talked about it on your podcast, um, how loneliness right now is an epidemic. Um, so it's just amazing how this random niche game from the '70s has suddenly exploded in popularity. And is a real way to help kind of feel less alone. So, and there's times like both of us tend to be introverted. You want to take a step back and gestate your own ideas. But to know that you can come back to the group, come back to the tribe where you'll have people that support you and inspire you. That's also a very powerful thing. 
I think it provides banks to the river for socialization too, which is can be very challenging. Uh, I actually saw it just last night. I was I was doing a little bit of scrolling on TikTok, and I saw someone, um, some American who like lives. I'm pretty sure he was in Barcelona, and he was just showing a video of this just this open square with all these kids playing and like parents sitting around and chatting basically Quester's way. Um, but, uh, and just saying how, you know, in, in other countries, there are these gathering spaces that people go to where they all come together and like, you know, parents might be working on something on the side while their kids are playing and making new friends. Um, and now that I'm saying it out loud, that is 100% what Quester's Way was because we had the the cafe, the classrooms, the indoor play park. The kids could go just be kids. There's no screens, no technology. It was all about the human interaction. And then we'd have parents that were sitting in the cafe and I remember there was one time we had two moms who you know they they came up and thanked us afterwards because they said we've been sitting here for four hours and we haven't looked at our phones once and they couldn't remember the last time that they had done that so our our culture and society it's, it's very very fast-paced and there's there's not a lot of just like communal resting points where we can all just come together. So when we're playing, I think one of the reasons I like the typing, which is not not everybody would want to play that way. That's a little bit of a unique style for us. But what's kind of what I like about it is it creates these two separate spaces where when we're talking, we're there are times where like we're waiting for someone to figure out what they're gonna do and type out what their character's saying or whatever. And while they're doing that, the rest of us are just you know, shooting the breeze, just having a random conversation or like sharing a meme or something or, or just sharing a random story from our day. So we're having that just kind of relaxed social time. But then for me, I, I am not great at small talk. I like when I know the rules of the game that I'm playing. This is why I like D&D, because &D, uh, I like knowing the rules to the game, <laughs> you know, so when I have that structure, it, I can relax into it. Um, but then I know that there's something that I can go back to because I, I get anxious when there's like silence or I'm not sure what we're supposed to be doing next. And I worry about like what the other person's thinking or feeling or are they bored or whatever. But in the game, we have the game to go back to. So it's this communal like scheduling point resting point social point where we can all come together yeah just like a little thing on that too like unlike a board game where you really have to like play by the rules that is the game ttrpgs because the outcome is the story you can relax or tighten the rules depending on the group and depending on the situation so there are times you can kind of loosen the banks to the river if everyone's kind of like you know, dialoguing with each other and like kind of like they're, they're making snappy decisions. There's times you can tighten up the rules if people feel kind of lost and they need that little prompt to figure out what to do next. Yeah, then the one other framing thing, I guess, for someone who's never played before is that there are times where things are in a turn order because there's fast action happening, like combat you know if we're in a fight then there's a, an initiative order and everyone is taking a turn kind of like a turn-based video game or you know a board game but a lot of the game is played just kind of open there's no it's not like this person goes first and then this person goes every we're just literally imagining having conversations and and that's another reason I like the typing because you can have two people that are kind of like the main characters on the screen but then your character can be like oh i go over here and and 
do something, you know, so you can kind of be included, but you're also in the background where when you're at a table, obviously only one person can be talking at a time. So that does kind of restrict the engagement of, of how much your character can be involved in any given time. Um, but really it's, it's very free form in the way that most of the interaction happens, unless you're in like combat time where things are, are more structured. Cool. All right. So I have a, oh, oh wait, I, I do have a couple questions to finish up, but I wanted to add one more little, um, uh, I guess maybe like testimonial or way someone's like grown and evolved through Dungeons and Dragons uh, is through watching us do it in Quester's way. Uh, my son, Leo, has DM'd several times and does a great job. And I think it's wonderful. I think the first time he, he DM'd, he was seven years old, I believe. And like you were there to help but he put together his own creative story, guided us through it, had to practice navigating, you know, different people with different ideas, um, trying to, you know, move towards an end goal and, and helping guide people there without stifling their creativity. And it was, it was just a really awesome thing to see as a parent, to see my child just you know, being the leader of this social situation was was very cool. Um, I think it was very impactful. All right, so a uh, couple of questions for you just to wrap things up. Uh, so let's say that somebody wants to play D and D. They wanna they wanna try it. They wanna check out Dungeons and Dragons or some other TTRPG. Um, what should people look for in someone who does what you do? Like, how do you find someone who does what you do? basically being a, a DM or a GM for a game? So I think the most consistent way is to go to a local game store. So like if you have like a local game store, most of them have some kind of D&D &D TTRPG program. Um, a lot of them will play live at that table. And sometimes you can even just watch first to see if you like the vibe. Um, the, uh, for D&D &D specifically and many other game systems, just not all of them, there's a website called Roll20, which has a uh, matchmaking feature. So if you want to try to find a game that maybe you can hop in on to give it a try, you can. Um, in terms of being a like like looking for a game master, someone who's going to be the leader of the table, the, the two things I would look for are how quickly and how clearly do they communicate and how well do their actions match their promises. So a lot of times, like if you send a message to someone and you mentioned this on a podcast we did on Dragon Mind because you're a co-host for Borrowing Brilliance. Um, you know, if if they give you some kind of pre-framing, right? Like they're like, you know, Fridays are the day I check my email. That's one thing. But if you send a message to them and it takes them a week to get back to you um, and maybe it's not super clear what's happening, in my experience, it's probably not going to be a good fit. Um, and then the other thing is, is how well do their actions match their promises? Because this is a very creative uh, type of activity, where people's creativity goes can be very different and incompatible. So for example, I know a lot of uh, TTRPG players that like kind of a horror vibe where it's like, you know, violent or graphic or that that's the thing that they're into. But like horror movies, a lot of other people, including myself, find them very upsetting. I wouldn't find it very enjoyable to play a game like that. So you just want to make sure if they're going to promise one thing, they're going to be able to follow through on it. 
if they say I'm going to have a safe PG rated content table and suddenly there's blood and guts and stuff, that's kind of a red flag. You may want to assess whether it's a good fit. I think those two pieces of advice are good for anyone looking to develop a relationship with anyone. Uh, (laughs) And then uh, what is the one thing that you would suggest to your listeners that they can apply to their life today? So something you've learned either through the martial arts or through Dungeons and Dragons, that's like a practical day-to-day piece of advice. Show up and show up on time. I cannot tell you how many entrepreneurs shoot themselves in the foot because they just don't have a realistic or concrete relationship with time. I partially, the reason I developed a very precise sense of timing that you can attest to is because my parents would always be like, oh, it takes 15 minutes to get there. No, it doesn't. It takes 19 minutes. And if the class starts at four, we're showing up four minutes late. So maybe that's a personal tick of mine, but not only showing up on time, I would say show up a little early and also like show up. So if you're in a meeting, don't come half prepared and don't come like scatterbrained, like come ready to show up, do the little work ahead of time. Don't try to fit everything into your day. Like if things aren't working well, re-strategize and re-prepare so that you can do a, a few things well, rather than doing a lot of things poorly. That is excellent advice. Uh, And then uh, second to last one, uh, what's the the most valuable lesson you've learned through your entrepreneurial journey? Listen. Yeah, listen listen first. I think it was Mark Twain that said you have two ears and one mouth so that you could listen twice as much as you talk. I could be wrong about that. Um, But no, oh, good. (laughs) So yeah, um, a lot of leaders view leadership through telling other people what to do versus listening to the things that they're telling you and listening as in watching too um, and letting that guide your approach. You won't get it right every time, but you'll, you'll be much happier with how you did it if you try that than just try to talk and make things happen and then get frustrated that they're not happening. Absolutely. All right, and then final, most important question. If people are interested in stuff that you talked about, how can people connect with you or learn more about what you're doing? Dragonmindpodcast at gmail.com. We're going to have a website soon. Not yet, though. <laughs> yeah, and then the podcast, like you said, is Dragon Mind, and it's on uh, Spotify and Apple and all of your favorite podcast platforms. Uh, yeah, awesome. So thank you very much for doing this together with me, John, and uh, keep being you, man. You are awesome.